The Synod of Bishops on Young People, the Faith and Vocational Discernment began last week with an address from Pope Francis inviting all to listen, saying that true listening means being open to newness and to change our opinions. This, I must add, is absolutely true. It is not true, however, in case anyone misinterprets what the Holy Father said, that listening means that we have to change our opinions. This is a question I asked a group of young people a year ago when we held a youth forum to prepare for the Synod. What does it mean that the church listens to you? I asked them, because they complain that the church doesn't listen to youth. Okay, how do you know that the church is listening? Does it mean that they have to do what you're asking them to do? I listen to my children very openly, and in the end, I will say, I hear you, you make good points, and we can talk about this later, but for now, your curfew is still 10 p.m., now go to bed. I did not change my opinion, nor did I change the rules, but I listened. Here's the dilemma. After the Synod, will we have a more listening church? Not a church that is open to change doctrine or teaching, but church ministers that don't always have all the answers and are willing to walk with people of all backgrounds and meet them wherever they may be, and then call them to something better. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Billy Chan. I should actually say it's not an all-new Salt and Light Hour. It's actually a whole new season. Yes. And you know, Billy, you know what number season this is of this show? I have no idea. It 15? Is... No. <laughs> Am I close? 10? 10. Wow. 10. We have been doing this program for 10 years. 10 years. If you are a listener that have been listening to this program for 10 years, you need to let us know because we want to put you on the radio. Yeah, maybe a gift. Um, so maybe they should write to us or call us or, or something. Salt and Light TV, our website, saltandlighttv.org. There's information there, right, Billy? Yes, yes. Billy, Billy has built the website so perfectly. so that <laughs> Thank you for saying it out loud here. So that, yeah, Billy needs uh, uh, some valid validation. <laughs> um, now, where's Emily? That's what I want to know. She's very busy now. What Probably. is she doing? What's Emily doing? She's now in Vatican in Rome. I know she she goes to Rome and she doesn't. Yeah, she ignores us. She's too <laughs> she's too high and mighty now. And so, now now schedule need to depends on her. It, totally. Yeah. yeah exactly. We're so going to be speaking with Emily later on in the program. But Great. We actually don't know if we're going to be able to speak to her <laughs> because we still don't know how to reach her. But yeah. th- that's our hope. So Emily is uh, has been asked by the Vatican by the Pope. The Pope wow. called her and uh, and said, hey, Emily, I want you to be one of the young auditors during the Synod. Wow. So she's in Rome for the whole month as one of the, I don't know how many, 20 or so young people that are auditors. So they're taking notes and they're participating in all the small groups. Anyway, Emily will explain it to us once we get a hold so of her. So she can have lunch with the Pope? I don't, I, I don't know, but we can ask her. Yeah. How cool would that be? That would be so cool. I think she certainly has coffee break with the Pope. There's always <laughs> everybody talks about the coffee breaks during the synod. Yeah. So 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 that'll be our news with Emily will be synod news. Oh yeah. I guess. So that's really nothing else is happening in the church except the synod <laughs> right now. Um and then today also we have Mark Matthews, 
Joining us, he's going to tell us what's good in Hollywood. He wants to talk about social media, Billy. Social media? Yeah, you I, know. I, stuff I, that I you am, like, stuff about I, algorithms <laughs> and social media and social media empires, directing political campaigns and things like that. So yep. maybe that's interesting for some people. Of that's course. in about, uh, I don't know, that's about in about 10 minutes. And then we will have Church for Dummies, and that's with you, yes. Billy. What are we going to talk about? We are going to talk about, you know when you say about there's nothing happening in the church except for the Senate? No. There's something else. There's something else. What else? It's the canonization this oh, weekend. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're going to talk about canonization. We're going to talk about that, yes. Okay, so so canonizations with St. Billy no. coming up. Um, and then, okay, Billy, so here's a question about, you know a big okay. word? There's a big word for you. It's called ecumenism. What is that? I don't know, but you're in an ecumenical marriage. Yes. And so am I. Oh. So. But you're a deacon. Yes, but that doesn't, mean that doesn't mean anything. I can get married. Um, so um, ecumenism is relations between Catholics between, and yeah. non-Catholic Christians, yes. other Christians of other denominations. So what, I mean, I know you married a, a non-Catholic Christian, yes. so you know all about ecumenism. I I know I know and I don't know. I but mean, in your experience, other than in your marriage, yeah. do you are a lot of your friends Christians who are not Catholic? Yes, more and more. I have a lot of friends that have uh, this kind of marriage yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, and I but I don't see there is any like. No, but even outside of marriage, don't you deal with people who are not Catholic all the time, but that are Christian or Anglican or uh, I don't know Lutheran? Uh, Buddhism. Yeah, well, no, but they're but not Christian. But it's not that. It has to be Christian, right? So you have but a lot different <laughs> denominations, right? They have to be Christian. So w- the Buddhism conversation will be another show. No, the reason why I'm asking is because yeah. uh, 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 so every day people deal with people of other Christian denominations. Yes. We work with them. We we marry them. We live with them. Uh-huh. We, we, you know, even we maybe in, in one family, there might uh-huh. be, you know, my best friend growing up was Episcopal. He was the son of the Episcopal bishop, actually. Um but do you know that the church officially there's what they call dialogues and there's there's official conversations happening between the Anglican Church and the oh, Catholic Church? Oh, they do church. talk to each other. Yeah, they're, yeah. <laughs> so and we're, and we're that well, there you go. I'm, I'm surprised. I am. Surprised. Are you really? Well, um, I I hope that our listeners aren't surprised. No, but I this, am. Yeah, but because of no, for me, I'm I'm no, I'm surprised that there's an official yes official. things happening the official. But the thing is, I I I'm not surprised that you know now more and more like um, uh, 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 Christians and yeah. Catholic, they they have no. I don't see there's a lot of problems. No, there aren't. I I, I don't see it. And anymore. in fact, there's more common ground that you would think, and that's yeah. why there's these conversations. So today, in our second half hour, we're going to be speaking with Bishop Linda Nichols. And you can tell by her name that she's not a Catholic bishop. Linda. She's an Anglican bishop. Mm -hmm. And Bishop Don Bolin, who's a good friend of ours here at Salt and Light, he's a bishop of Regina. They are co-chairs of the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. So there's a committee and they are chairs of the committee. Sorry, Canadian. The Canadian Roman Catholic, Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. Wow. And just as there is the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue, there's there's the American uh-huh. and there's the International Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. So anyway, they're going to tell us all about that. Great. In about half an hour, um, they're going to tell us about that committee and what they do and about a new resource that they are releasing that I'm sure that people like Billy would be interested in reading because it's all about how we live day by day, day to day with people of other Christian denominations. Mm-hmm. So that's, as I said, in about 25 minutes or so. Good.
And then at the end of the program, we're going to get to meet another young singer-songwriter, worship leader, traveling catechist, and speaker from a small town in Wisconsin. Her name is Ali Alia. So let's start with a song. Here's Ali Alia with the title track from her album, The Labyrinth. Ali Aliyah with The Labyrinth 
from her album of the same name. And we're going to be speaking with Ali Alia in about 30 minutes. But first, here's Emily all the way from Rome with our news from the Synod. Emily. Hi, Pedro. Are you tired? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, explain a little bit uh, for our listeners. I said that you, you're an auditor for the Synod. What does that mean? What is your job? So an auditor essentially is there to listen. I mean, I think we can probably all understand what auditor means, but um, so we are there to listen in on all of the conversations that are happening in the Aula, which is the Synod Hall, where the General Assembly happens. The Pope sits there, the Secretariat for the Synod yeah. Bishops sit there, and of course all of the cardinals and bishops and experts that are invited for the Synod. And um, and the young people are kind of in a section if you're looking at the Allah from the front, we're like on the right, far right corner, and there's about right. 35 of us that are there. Okay, wow, um, and and all over. the, sorry, and all the auditors are young people. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So all of the auditors are are young people. Whether yeah, some of them are teachers, some of them are obviously like young professionals, okay. students. And you take so, so you yeah, and you take notes, and then what do you do with those notes? We take notes. Um, I mean, I don't know what I'm going to do with my notes after. But, <laughs> publish them, um, publish them. <laughs> yes, right. right. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's, it's really, um, one, it's, it's quite a privilege. Again, like I said, I don't know what we're going to do with those notes, but it, it does help us to, um, to, to nourish our own, our own thoughts about the topic, right? Because then we, we eventually meet in small groups, which uh-huh. is called Circuli Minori. Yeah. So every week there's a part where we listen to all these interventions, which is kind of a weird word to use in English. It works a lot better in French or in Italian, yeah, of course. Yes. But it's essentially a talk, a four-minute talk that all of the bishops, well, the bishops, the cardinals, and um, so the synod fathers, but also the auditors get uh-huh. to uh, give a four-minute talk. Yeah. And, um, and so when we get to listen to all of that, we can then, you know, reflect on it and um, go a little bit deeper into the topic of that week um, in our small language group. Right, okay. So there's, a, there's about, if I'm not mistaken, six different languages, but there's a total of 14 right. small groups. And you're in a French small group. I'm in a, exactly, I'm in okay. a French Okay, good. And, group. and what sort of, I mean, you've, you're a week in, there's been, I don't know how many interventions so far. What sort of themes or, or topics are, are coming up that are that you think are worth noting? For sure. Um, so the first part is on the context of the situation of young people. So that's important to remember. Yeah, okay. um, it's really just an overview, a lay of the land of where young people are at. So, um, so there's a lot of challenges, and, a lot, and some bishops shared this, that they felt the tone was very negative. Uh-huh. But I think that when we're thinking, you know, well, where are young people at, we immediately go to the negative, you know. Right. Um, but it's, it's good to note. So um, talking about some of the challenges that they face, you know, um, let's say in countries like in the Middle East, mm-hmm. where there are a lot of displaced Christians. So they face, um, you know, there's young migrants. So uh, they face the challenge of kind of being uprooted from from their home and then having to make a home elsewhere. Right. Um, Places where there's a lot of violence as well. Um, I would say in South America, um, those are things that are coming up a lot more. Really? Um, Drug trafficking. um, Yeah, I would say those are the things that are coming up a little bit more. Really? Um, in Western countries, you know, there's there's already been mention of the sex abuse right. scandal yes. um, and the fact that that's really broken credibility um, of the institution. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's kind of like this 
this call, I guess, to, to just recognize that it's, it is one of those things that um, makes it difficult to then evangelize and present the gospel because the church as an institution has lost credibility right. in the eyes of some young, young people because of, and not just the sex abuse, but other, other scandals that have um, happened um, yeah. in the past as well. Okay. Now um, I know other things that are coming up are things like sexuality. Um, so, okay. so the need to kind of to re reaffirm the church's teachings on um, on sexuality. Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Evangelization as a really important interesting uh, has come up quite oh, good. a bit. Good. So there's a um, lot a lot coming up. Um, just in a little time that we have, because I know you have to run. Um, what has been so far the highlight for you? Oh man, there's so much. Um, Pick one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna go with the small group. Okay, um, really? Think, oh, because it's it's really an opportunity where you get to meet with bishops um, and uh, experts of, of other countries. So everyone has kind of their own their own story to share, and um, and that's where you really get to have these deep, meaningful, and fruitful conversations. And and I've actually found it quite edifying to Good. sit there and listen to the bishops kind of come to come to a certain agreement, you know, when maybe at the beginning there's misunderstandings because of language barriers. Right. You know, because someone's first language maybe not isn't necessarily French or they use certain words and and someone needs clarification on that word, you know, so it's like there's this constant back and forth and right. then all of a sudden oh. you arrive at this beautiful this beautiful conclusion huh. um, or not a conclusion but um, an understanding nice. of where the other person is coming from. Oh, that's good to know because I think you're right that a lot of people think like there's bishops, you know, yelling at each other. Um, no. That's no. great. No, that's good. And I actually have been part, not in a synod, but have been part of small groups in the context of a Vatican meeting and, and I to- mm-hmm. totally agree with you. Um, we're going to leave it there but I hope that we can connect with you again next week and maybe for the yeah. next four weeks the next three weeks um, so I have because I have tons more questions but we have lots of more time in the weeks to come to talk to you thank you Emily for that My little pleasure. update Emily Callan our Salt and Light Hour news producer for this month she is an auditor for the Synod of Bishops on Young People the Faith and Vocational Discernment you can follow her at Emmy Callan Hi I'm Taylor Tripodi and this is the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro if you missed any part of this program or to listen to any interview again, go to saltandlighttv.org radio. That's where we archive all our programs. And now it's time for What's Good in Hollywood with our Hollywood undercover missionary, Mark Matthews. Mark, welcome back to the program. Thank you. Happy- uh, always a pleasure to be here. Uh, brand new season, so excited for what it'll hold. Excited, and you're going to talk to us a little bit about Social media? Yes, yes. So I'm going to deviate a little bit from my usual discussion on film and talk about uh, digital and social media. Yeah. Um, and and this, is, this is my background. I'm a, I'm a software engineer, so um, I know, you know quite a bit about the internals of what's going on in these, with these kinds of things. Right. Um, you're probably aware uh, that in the U.S. there have been some pretty serious accusations of bias leveled against some of these very large tech companies and yes. social media companies recently. Yes. And uh, as a programmer, I kind of go, uh, I don't think so, guys. Uh, and so I wanted to explain why uh, I think this is the case and that it's very unlikely that uh, any kind of bias is entering in through the algorithm and that it's far more likely entering in through you and I, the users of these particular social media platforms. 
platform. Um, and so, I mean, basically what it comes down to is that we do not have the technology, the artificial intelligence, to analyze an article and deduce its viewpoint of saying, like, oh, this is pro-candidate A, or this is pro-candidate B, or pro-politician A. Um, if anyone can do that, they will get a Nobel Prize in artificial <laughs> intelligence. And you're working on um, that. I'm working on that, yeah. I'm okay. almost there, let me tell you. <laughs> I'm almost there. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the truth is probably for, is far more boring. So uh, the thing is, uh, look at... Um, so first of all, just think of search results, right? So if you're looking uh, on YouTube, say, for a video on politics, and 990 users have produced videos in favor of politician A, yeah. but only 10 have produced videos in favor of politician B, mm -hmm. the results that you search for or that you get when you say search for political commentary are going to be 99% in support of politician A right. and only 1% in support of politician B. Yeah. So there's, there's no magic algorithm that can analyze you know, all these videos and say, oh yeah, there's, there's, there's 990 in support of this first politician, so we're going to try and balance them out. So, mm -hmm. so given it, it's a reflection of the users of a particular social media platform, and given that quite often um, the, the platforms that are embraced have a particular political leaning of themselves, um, sometimes even just those results just from that effect can kind of look you know, sort of damning. Mm -hmm. um, but the way you have to understand it is substitute, say, politician A with entertaining videos mm -hmm. and, say, politician B with boring videos. Mm -hmm. And basically nobody wants to watch boring videos uh, and any social media or media platform, they have a vested interest in only presenting entertaining videos. Right. So what, what they're actually doing is they are biasing towards entertaining videos and biasing against uh, boring videos. Mm -hmm. The algorithms have no way of determining whether you clicked on that video because it was entertaining, well-produced, and succinct, or because it agreed with your political views and you don't like watching things that disagree with your political right. views. Right, right. And, 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 so, and what it comes down to is basically like the algorithms aren't magic. This is just plain statistics. So I hope I hope it's just a basic statistical principle, and I hope I've explained that well enough that it's, I, I, it's understandable. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and and maybe to clarify, so the algorithm can't tell if a video is entertaining or boring, but it can exactly. tell if a whole bunch of people like one video and a whole bunch a bunch of people don't like the other video. That makes perfect sense to me. And maybe it's it's worth ending by saying that ultimately, and maybe this is where I would want to maybe a next segment from you that the social media companies, they don't care if you vote for this one or that one or watch that one or that one. It's all about marketing, and that's where they make yeah. their dollars, right? So why don't we talk about advertising, algorithms that want you to click on something so you can buy something later. That I would be more interested in. And not oh, so yeah, much, sure. Not so much in the Republican-Democrat. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, yeah, very true. There you go. And, and I'm going I'm to have an online article on this, and I'll, I'll have a few more things on it as well. Okay, good. So let us know when that article is uh, is ready and we will share it over here so our listeners who are interested in this uh, topic can uh, can learn more. Thank you very much, Mark Matthews, social media. You are very welcome. Artificial intelligence expert in Hollywood. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. There you go. That was Mark Matthews, our undercover Hollywood missionary. You can follow him at HU Missionary. This is Steven. And I'm Rachel. And we are the Mosley. And you're listening to the Salt, the Salt and Light, and Light Hour, Hour with, with Deacon, Deacon Pedro. Pedro.
If you want to contact us, just email radio at saltandlighttv.org or you, you can look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, also on Twitter, at Deacon Pedro GM. There's also the ability to send a direct voice message right off our webpage, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. And now it's time for... Church for Dummies. With Billy Chan, St. Billy Chan. I'm not a saint yet. That's why you're asking about canonizations, right? Because yes, you want to know how to be canonized. <laughs> Definitely. I want to know, uh, uh, when, you know um, there almost every year has canonization. Almost. Yeah. Is it? Can I say this? Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And this year we have seven. Yes. That's the yes, people on who is going to be a saint. Yes. But when I say this sentence, can you, you know, can can, I re, can you reword my, my sentence? There will be seven... There will be seven, seven people, people who are going to be recognized okay. as saints. But they are, are they saints now? Yeah, we're just recognizing them. Oh, because we, you know when, when we when we do the website, you know I, I'm the that's web right. Developer. Billy does the okay. We're doing I the see. website, and you know I do not want to change the that much because there, we have a lot of work to do, right? So I'm okay. So, I'm, so I'm, you did a website <laughs> with with Romero when he was beatified. Yes. And now you're doing and a website for Romero when he was canonized. canonized. So you just I, have to change one word. I want to change one word, but yes. you know, there, there is not only one saint. There will be seven. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, Paul the Six, Romero, Blessed Nazario. The yeah. Yes. Okay, but that's why you know I I just want to be more lazy, you know. To, to, to just change one word, uh, not changing one word. I, can I say them saint right now? No, you, you okay. So um, I, I would say that informally, we can call them saints. Okay. Uh, Romero, they called him a saint 40 years ago. In El Salvador, everybody talks about San Romero. They've oh. already... In quotes, canon the people already canonized him. So people recognize him already because they already recognize Mother Teresa before she died. Oh. People already called her a saint, right? So informally, so that's different than the official formal title that the church would give someone. Wow. Okay. 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 So, so and that title means two things. The title means very basically that we are recognizing that we know for sure that that person is in heaven. Uh-huh. Okay, that that person didn't enter heaven yesterday, and so we're canonizing them today. That person probably has been in heaven from After the moment they died, died mm-hmm. right? So it so they've been saints because they've been in heaven. But it's that now, after we've done all the research and there's been the miracles and all that, now we can say with certainty, with a guarantee. So we confirmed. So we've confirmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a confirmation, <laughs> right? That they... They can be called saints. They've joined the canon, okay. the list of saints, which is why we canonize them. Yeah. So that means that we're recognizing that they are saints. But the saint also means something else. Because I would, uh, my grandmother, I'm sure, is in heaven. Okay. And I can call her a saint. Uh-huh. But the church doesn't officially call her a saint because the church has not deemed that she is an example, a model of saintly living for the rest of the church. I see. So we canonize people to recognize that they are in heaven, but we also canonize them to hold them up as models of saintly, of holiness examples. So that's what's happening on Sunday with the seven saints. I see. So how about those miracles then? Okay, so the miracles are part of that confirmation process. So who performs the miracle? Uh, 
God? God, oh. exactly. So if God performs the miracle, but the miracle is done through the intercession of a particular saint, mm-hmm. then you know that the saint has a connection with God ah. because he's able to ah, intercede okay, and God okay. can perform the miracle. So that is a confirmation. So he's just like walkie-talkie. Roger is it's, God. It's a, yeah, exactly. Um, you see a saint? Exactly. And God will give you a miracle. Yeah. And, oh, which, is why, which is why they say if you really want a miracle, <laughs> you should pray to a saint that hasn't been canonized yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. You are very right. Exactly, yeah. right? So, so that's, why, that's why we need, quote in quotes, we need a miracle because the miracle shows proof that that person is in heaven. Okay, let's talk about something about more practical now. You know, the the canonization mass will be three hours. Something uh, probably, like yeah. Well, the seven saints. What do we expect? Because, you know, he's a... You know what? It's a mass. mass. Really, it's a mass uh-huh. with a, a canonization rite, I guess, in the middle. And that that is just an opportunity to talk a little bit about who these people were. So they might read their bios. I see. Um, th- there's a procession with the relics. Usually, they'll bring a relic. Um I think that's really it. And at mm. some point, the Pope will actually make the proclamation that so-and-so has been you know, proclaimed a saint in the Catholic Church. That's it. The rest I is see. a normal Mass. So let me do an advertisement here then. Yes. There will be a really nice, no, not will be, but there is a very nice website already on SaltandLightTV.org. <laughs> and you can go there and check it out. There are, there, there are seven saints uh, biography yes. already there. And also Father Matt has done uh, okay, so seven refractions. Yeah, so we, we have, have seven, you have the bios of the saints, the reflections on the saints, who are these people? Everybody knows Romero and Paul VI, but nobody knows the other five. Yeah. So find out who they are, and you can also tune in and watch that canonization live. I'm going to be hosting it wow. at 4 in the morning Eastern <laughs> here from Salt and Light Television. Thank you, you can watch that on our website, saltandlighttv.org, and also uh, Facebook Live. So I hope you guys can join in. Enjoy. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Billy Chan is a seasoned radio host and the webmaster here at Salt and Light. That's why he's promoting his beautiful work on the website. You can follow him at B. Joe Chan. Coming up in our second half hour, Anglican Catholic Dialogue, and we meet Ali Aliya. So stay tuned. It's very common here, at least that I know of in Canada, and I'm sure in most places in the United States that most towns have at least one Catholic church and one Anglican or Episcopal church. Growing up, my best friend was an Episcopal. In fact, he was the Episcopal bishop's son. My wife was baptized in the Anglican church, and many in her family still practice their faith in the Anglican church. I'm sure that many of you have Anglican friends. But did you know that for nearly 50 years now, both the Anglican and Catholic churches have been involved in formal dialogue. These official conversations have produced many agreed statements and joint documents and have also led us to deeper understanding, opening us to new opportunities to live and work together. One of these documents is the result of a new project by the Canadian Anglican-Roman Catholic Dialogue. It is a joint resource titled New Stories to Tell, Living Ecumenism Today. And to tell us more, I am joined by the co-chairs of the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue, Bishop Linda Nichols and Bishop Donald Bolin. Welcome both of you to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you very Thank much. You. So you both have, have, have experience of working on the Anglican Roman Catholic 
relations, both on the national and international level. And for the past years, you have served as co-chairs on this national Anglican-Roman Catholic uh, theological dialogue. Can you um, briefly, maybe Bishop Linda, can you briefly describe for us what the Anglican-Roman Catholic dialogue is um, and how long has this national dialogue been meeting? Yes, the Anglican-Roman Catholic Dialogue in Canada is a group of uh, theologians, of both clergy and lay, uh, from across our country, who have been chosen by our respective churches to sit on the dialogue, who meet to discuss uh, common concerns or to respond to documents that have been produced at the national or the international level, particularly from the Anglican-Roman Catholic International Dialogue, mm-hmm. and to uh, spend time in conversation together, asking uh, where we have agreement, where we may not, and how we build and deepen our relationship together. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that since 1971. Wow. In addition, we've also had an Anglican-Roman Catholic Bishops Dialogue that has met annually uh, since 1975, which brings together uh, a group of bishops from both our communions, and that often overlaps for at least a day a year with the with the theological dialogue for conversation. Right. So, how typical th- this document that is being, or the um, the resource? Can I call it a document that's being released? Mm-hmm. The new stories to tell, living ecumenism today. Um, uh, Bishop Don, how typical is that of a of a resource that you would be uh, releasing, or how different is it? What's what's different about it? Tell us tell us a bit about that project. Right. Well, there is something new about this uh, text. Uh, traditionally, our dialogues have um, uh, Canadian dialogue has looked at either international documents that have been produced or uh, taken up doctrinal or pastoral questions and tried to address them to, uh, mm-hmm. areas where we have a difference and we're looking to address that difference. Whereas this is uh, this is a collection that um, starts with a collection of stories of uh, okay. experiences of people on a local level. And, uh, you know, often our documents don't get read and they collect dust. <laughs> but we think by by starting with stories from different parts of Canada um, and then after a particularly engaging story, uh, drawing out some ecumenical points, uh, offering mm-hmm. some ecumenical reflection, uh, we're, we're hoping to get people's attention. So the story... Uh, yeah, sorry? Go ahead. No, you, no. I was going to say so. Well, so the stories, they they you, they hi, these are stories, but they highlight themes that came from a a different document that was part of a, a different international commission. Can you can you clarify that for me? Sure. Well, um, the uh, there was a, there was a the international dialogue, and Bishop Linda will say more about this because okay. she's part of that dialogue right now. Yes. Uh, produced a, a series of. Of texts of agreement okay. uh, on authority and morals and uh, 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 right uh, yeah, the, the nature of the church and uh, yeah okay so 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 Bishop Linda you're part of you're serving on that international dialogue yes I'm serving on the the third iteration of the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission uh, often just called ARCIC. Okay. Yeah, but the second, the second iteration of that uh, met for almost 25 years and produced five texts. Mm-hmm. Um, these are documents that are discussed by theologians, bishops, 
bishops and uh, clergy and lay theologians from around the world, um, and they often are, are very thoughtful uh, agreements and questions that our churches need to continue to wrestle with and, and think about as we seek that deeper unity that Christ calls us to. Right. But they often do just sit on a shelf, and yeah. so our desire was to say, how do we bring the themes of these conversations um, down to the grassroots level of everyday life in parishes, and how can we see them um, lived out, uh, and how do they challenge us? And right. so we were looking okay. for stories that would illustrate. So the stories, so that, so that's why, the, so the stories um, highlight the themes, but th- but the stories are about those everyday ecumenical. It sounds so like I <laughs> ecumenical encounters sounds like it's such a formal because they're not they're informal <laughs> encounters that we have every day. Um, what kind of contribution, Bishop Linda? What kind of contribution uh, are you hoping that this resource will make that hasn't already been made with the other five documents? Well, the other five are formal theological documents, and these are practical on the ground. This is what it okay. looks like when we live this out together, okay. and I hope it will be a deep encouragement to Anglicans and Roman Catholics. Right. Okay. Yeah. Bishop Don, um, are there, were there any particular stories that especially touched you? There were indeed. One was a story which came from uh, a professor of uh, Christology, mm-hmm. and uh, she had in her class a group of ordinands, and among them uh, were Anglican and Roman Catholic ordinance. Hmm. And uh, at the end of the class, they they had a session where they did some personal sharing, and two of them had roots in Nova Scotia. And as they talked, they uh, they started to talk about family because they had some common family names. Uh-huh. And uh, they realized, uh, after quite a bit of discussion, that, in fact, their great-grandmother was the same person. Wow. And that their grandmothers uh, were sisters, but the families separated over faith issues, and one of them changing from one community to another, mm-hmm. and there was a rupture, and uh, they discovered, in the context of this discussion, and in a Christology class, that they were in fact related, hmm. uh, second cousins. Wow. And that became a kind of a parable for us as we develop that, for how Anglicans and Roman Catholics are, in fact, closely related. But we've lost our uh, family connections. Right. And uh, through dialogue, we recover them. Wow. Maybe just in closing, because we're just about out of time, and, and, and I'll, I'll let both of you answer if you wish. You, you two have been working and doing this, this work of ecumenism and dialogue for a long time. Um, I know, Bishop Don, your, your term in this committee is coming to an end. I'm sure that there's more to come for you because I know you. Um, but are there, have you come to any new insights about the dialogue between specifically Anglicans and Catholics or about ecumenism in general through this work that you've done? Bishop Linda? I would say that that I was just so encouraged when we started to dig for and ask for stories. We've had just some wonderful stories come forward of how much on the ground and grassroots sharing and praying together and working together on issues of justice, of of learning from one another. There's so much more that's happening that we just don't hear. Mm-hmm. And we hope these stories will encourage deeper sharing and um, some real celebrating of how much we have come closer together through our ecumenical work. Mm-hmm. Bishop Don? 
Well, I would say that uh, whenever we engage in dialogue, uh, especially at times when when we're facing significant differences and where there are tensions between our churches, um, that dialogue opens a space where we can still be in relationship with each other and where we can talk about those differences and talk about them candidly. Mm-hmm. Um, in dialogue, you always discover, I've always discovered in ecumenical conversation that my uh, anticipated views of the other, my my judgments about the other going in, are never quite on yeah, uh, so on true. track, yeah. and that the other always comes to me as someone who loves God and yes. loves Jesus, wants to be led by the Holy Spirit, and loves the Church, and there's an integrity there that I don't necessarily see mm-hmm. unless I enter into dialogue and conversation. And I think our new document is going to draw people into that that dialogue in a in a new and creative way. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I love stories, so I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing this new uh, resource. Thank you both for taking a little bit of time to talk to, talk to us and tell us about it today. Um, and thank you for the work that you do for Dialogue. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. The Right Reverend Linda Nichols is the Bishop of the Anglican Diocese of Huron in Ontario and... Bishop Donald Bolin, Archbishop Donald Bolin, is the Bishop of the Archdiocese of Regina in Saskatchewan. Together, they chair the Canadian Anglican Roman Catholic Dialogue. For more information on the dialogue or to get the new resource, new stories to tell living ecumenism today, you can go to the Canadian Catholic Conference of Bishops website, cccb.ca. The new resource hopefully will release before the end of the year, and we'll also have information on our website, saltandlighttv.org, about that. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Ali Alia, with You Are, from her album, Jealous Love. Is this the great I am, King of Kings, the one who's come to set the captives free? How can one so small accomplish all these things? And yet you have enraptured me. You've enraptured me. In seeking you, I'm already found. The light shines in the darkness alone.
That was Ali Aliya with You Are from her album Jealous Love. Ali Aliya calls herself a Catholic singer-songwriter, worship leader, and traveling catechist and speaker from a small town in Wisconsin. She's a graduate from Franciscan University in Steubenville and worked for Father Mike Schmitz for two years in, in Duluth, Minnesota, where she still lives. In 2015, she released her first EP, Jealous Love, and about a year later, she released her album, The Labyrinth. And to tell us more, I'm very happy to welcome Ali Alia to the Salt and Light Hour. Ali, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, did I say Duluth right? Duluth. Yes, you did. Duluth, yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yes, one day one day I'm going to have to go there just so that I can uh, uh, not feel bad about saying that town name. Um, <laughs> you grew up... Um, you grew up in, no, you didn't grow up in Minnesota. You grew up in Wisconsin, right? Or in a small yes, town. Yes, that's correct. And what, what was... A small town called Rice Lake. So what was it like growing up? You know, was it a Catholic uh, family? It was great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, small town, so a lot of charm. Um, yeah. We, we have, um, the, I always like to tell people that there's this bright yellow pawn shop with a giant, like, gorilla on the top. Oh, I love it. And... I remember when they were building that, it was just hysterical. They had this tarp over it, and it was like this huge unveiling, like, what's it going to be? And it's a gorilla. <laughs> this is a giant gorilla. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So did, was your family uh, Catholic? Did you grow up in a Catholic family? Yes, yeah. So I'm a cradle Catholic. Yep. I uh, went to Catholic school growing up. Yeah, um, yeah the, the whole nine yards. We went to, to Mass every Sunday, yeah. and um, it's really great because um, it's one of those things where my parents, they they really instilled in us at a young age the importance of going to mass every every week. Okay. And um, as we were doing that, um, my I think my parents were even growing deeper in their own faith, which mm-hmm. ignited our whole family, which mm-hmm. was awesome. And is it a big family? Lots of brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of three girls. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Three girls. That's great. Mm-hmm. And and was it a musical household? Yes, totally. It's actually really funny because my cousin Lauren, she's my roommate now. Okay. Uh, sometimes we'll like the three of us girls plus my cousin Lauren will be like going grocery shopping or something, and like I'll just break out in three part harmony, and Lauren's oh, like, "That's, that's not normal," <laughs> but it is for us. That's great. So you had to like take music lessons when you were little. Well, you know what's it's funny. My sister, the middle sister Jessica, she was the one that was always like pursuing music. As the most um she she took piano lessons and voice lessons and all that stuff but i was more shy about it um i loved to sing but i didn't really share my gifts in front of people right. really until later on uh-huh. um so yeah i didn't have any real background in music until like high school i started um taking like the choir class you know okay um but that was still easy to blend in <laughs> <laughs> yeah right hide um when did you start writing music writing songs you know, I can I can remember writing songs from the time I I don't know like for, my oldest memories are from me like as a little kid in my yeah. room trying to write songs. Oh, that's great. They weren't very good, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't have any music background, like I said. So yeah, it was just kind of like um, me making stuff up and then trying to remember how it went. Um, yeah. But but that has kind of always been a part of me. And now, I mean, you went to to uh, Steubenville, but you didn't study music. Um, so Correct. when yeah. did you, how did this whole, because you're now full-time, 
musical evangelist. You, you're like you're doing this full time. How did that? Mm-hmm. When did that transition happen? Were you, were you thinking already of doing that before you went to uh, university, or did it happen? No. Uh, tell me a no. bit about that. Yeah. So this is. It, it's been kind of a crazy, crazy ride that the Lord has taken me on. Yeah. Um, so I never expected to do music with my life. Um, I remember in high school, like even just getting up in front of people would I would like my palms would get sweaty, my face would turn red, my breathing would be all like really? horrible. And I, I remember thinking, I will never get up on a stage in front of anybody. So wow. <laughs> why do I have to take these classes, right? Yeah. But um, God had a sense of humor because when I was in college, he started uh, providing opportunities for me to play music in front of people uh-huh. at like coffee house type performances, really mm-hmm. casual and fun things. Mm-hmm. And I started get, getting more comfortable with that. Um, so eventually I got to a point where I shared my original music that I'd written, which yeah. had gotten a lot better in college than I did when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, and it was really well received. Uh, and that just kind of opened a lot of doors where the Lord pointed me in the direction of recording my first album as, as a senior in mm-hmm. high school or in college. In I mean. college. And then, um, yeah, and then moving to Duluth where I met my band and recording my full album. But were you thinking, sorry, were you thinking of going into kind of ministry work? Yeah, yeah. So I was planning on being a youth minister. A youth minister, Um, okay. Yeah, I've I've always been in love with the idea of ministry and and like working with youth and it's awesome. So that was the plan. So when, Um, when... And I still did. yeah. So yeah, and I guess music kind of feeds into that um, nicely. When when you write a song now, what is your hope? Are you thinking uh, this song is is to help me evangelize, or this is just to help people pray? What what's your hope with your music? Yeah, well, it kind of depends on the song and where I'm at when I'm writing it. But for the most part, I'd say that the general theme is yeah, I, I do think about my listeners now. Um, before it was more just like writing from my heart, which it still is. But now it's kind of at the place where it's like, Lord, what do you want to tell the people that I'm able to reach with my music? Right. Um, because my music is, I think it's a little bit different than normal contemporary Christian music. It, I kind of categorize it as like folk Americana and not yeah. necessarily Christian music. Yes. But definitely the Christian themes come out of my heart. Right. And so come into my music and, and I've, I've seen this already but my continued hope for it is that, like, a person who will never step foot, like, would never want to step foot in a church, can hear my music and and encounter God through it. Yeah. And hopefully yeah. that would bring them a little closer to, mm-hmm. you know, opening up their heart to Him and, and letting Him guide their life and yeah. and bringing them to church eventually. But, yeah. Yeah, no, and that, I think it, I think it does that. But I'm not someone who's Thank not you. stepping into a church, so I don't know how that would... But I, but I, I, uh, I certainly like that that I can listen to your music and it can lead me to pray if that's kind of where I'm at but it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to it's just good music and there's interesting lyrics that might make me think about something um um you you're not working well you are sorry I was going to say you're not working for Father Mike Schmitz anymore but you do continue doing some work with him or collaborating with mm-hmm. him correct um, Yes yeah so I uh I do a lot of music for their the Newman Center masses, where he's the chaplain here at in uh, Duluth at the University of Minnesota. Of Minnesota, yeah, yeah, and then um, a lot of retreat music, okay. or like we have a youth camp 
for the diocese every summer that I do music at as well. So right. I have a lot of opportunities to continue to work with him and, and under his awesome direction. Oh, good. That's, that's good. I was going to ask you, how is it working with him? But you just said awesome. So, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, no, he's, he's amazing. It's he's a good uh, yes. really incredible to be able to learn yeah. from him. And he's taking you to the Holy Land. You guys are going to the Holy Land together. Tell me about that. Yes. Yeah. So, um, I went my first time to Israel through this, um, Jeff Cavins is in charge of it. He puts on these, um, these pilgrimages yeah. and Father Mike is the chaplain for it. Yeah. Um, and I went for the first time my freshman year of college and the Lord rocked my world with just how amazing, like having the scriptures broken open yes. to me uh, in a whole new way that just made it come alive, you know? Yeah. Um, and I really believe that it's at that time in that place where the Lord instilled in me the, the ability to minister through music, hmm. um, which I, I see as a huge, huge gift, you know, um, just priceless gift. And I was blessed. Um, the The Lord drew me back to be able to do to lead their music actually uh-huh. um, twice now. Yeah, so this will be this my will be fourth, fourth. pilgrimage coming up. Beautiful. Um, and yeah, all with Jeff Cavins and Father Mike. And and I because I am so so grateful for the opportunity, that original opportunity to go there and receive that gift from the Lord. I just want to bring everyone I can with me. Okay. So we're doing this Holy Land pilgrimage giveaway. Uh-huh. Uh, I was able to give away a, a pilgrimage last this past May um, to a woman from Ashland, and her husband um, came as well, and they're just the coolest people, and I'm really, really excited to do it again. Okay, good. So if people want to participate in this giveaway, they go to your website? Yeah, yeah. So the information will be on my website. Um, there's a tab at the top. If you just click that, it says, something about Israel. Yeah, <laughs> something about, yeah, the Holy, Holy Land pilgrimage giveaway. Okay, so it's as easy as that. So, and the pilgrimage is not next year, but in 2020, correct? Yes, yes, that's okay. correct. So lots of time, but that doesn't mean people can dilly-dally. They should go to the website right now and find out, find out how they could win uh, a trip to the Holy Land with Ali and Father Mike and Jeff Cavins. How cool is that? Ali? Yes, I'm so excited. Yeah, I would be too. That's all the time we have. We have to leave it there, but it's been so great meeting you, quote-unquote, meeting you over the phone and uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and listening well. to your music. Thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work. Let me know when there's a new album, and we'll bring you back. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. You can learn more about Ali Aliyah at her website, which is ali aliyahcom but just be aware, Ali is one L, A-L-Y dash a-L-E-I-G-H-A, Aliyah. But you know what? I'm just going to put that link on our site, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, so you can find it easily. And when you go to Ali's website, that's where you can purchase her music, you can book her for your next event, and as we said, you can find also find out how you can win a trip to the Holy Land with her, Jeff Cavins, and Father Mike Schmitz. And if you happen to be in Oregon, in Nevada, in Idaho, or in California, look at her tour dates because she's probably coming very close to you. Here now is Ali Aliyah with Alabaster Walls from her album, The Labyrinth. Hey, Mr. Sailor, come to the river to see the waters rising up and testing your arm and believe me when I say it's coming down. If you don't learn to breathe beneath the surface, you'll surely drown. Seems like the two falling 
We're listening to Ali Aliya with Alabaster Walls from her album The Labyrinth. And that will take us to the end of the program this week. Remember that if you miss any part of this program, you can stream or podcast all our Southern Night Hour programs at southernnighttv.org slash radio. And that website is also where we post links to our artists or guests. You can also download the Southern Night Hour podcast off iTunes or the Google Play Store. You can contact us via email, radio at saltandlighttv.org, or also via Facebook or Twitter. Just look for Salt and Light TV. You can follow me on Twitter at Chen. And Emily is at Emmy Callan, and I'm at Deacon Pedro GM. Thank you for being with us today. I am Billy Chen. And I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been The, the Salt and Light Hour. Stay.